It's a rivalry which has defined South African politics. It involves two presidents who have served the longest terms in democratic history, who grew up to be the greatest of political partners turned the deepest of political rivals. Former President Thabo Mbeki and former President Jacob Zuma. It's a fascinating story of political contestation which lasts nearly five decades. Let's get into it. Welcome back to SMWX fam. Today we're taking a step back from what's happening in South Africa's politics on the day-to-day level and exploring a story which I think hasn't been properly told yet. Now if this was a movie, I would start the movie in a jail cell in Swaziland, now Eswatini. Two men in their 30s, revolutionary freedom fighters, are playing a game of chess against each other inside this jail cell, inside the jail. It's a game that they will play with each other for the length of their detention, and it's a game which will come to characterize a lot of South Africa's history from there. Jacob Zuma and Thabo Mbeki were in detention together in Swaziland in their 30s, and they shared the interest of playing chess together. No, I can't say it is anyone. I've played a number of uh, opponents. I used to play this a great deal with President Thabo Mbeki. We were once arrested together in prison in Swaziland. We spent a lot of time together playing chess. It's, the strength was equal. It's an allegory for what would happen in South African politics all the way through our democratic history. And I believe this political rivalry, which was once a deep political friendship, actually explains a lot of what was good about South Africa when South Africa was really good and what has turned bad about South Africa when things have turned bad. You can't understand South African politics and South African history without understanding the rivalry and the partnership between Jacob Zuma and Thabo Mbeki. So in this video, I want to break down this story into four different parts. This is the introduction in which we introduce the rivalry and the two figures. After this, we're going to go into the early years and these two different lives that started in the same year, 1942. Then, we're going to go to the period of partnership, when they met each other, they found each other, and they became the greatest of political allies. Then, things turn sour, and they become rivals, and we'll go into the rivalry. And then we'll conclude with some reflections on how this bears on South African politics right now. So to begin, the year is 1942. And in the space of four months of each other, two boys are born. One, Thabo Mbeki, the second, Jacob Zuma. Now, Mbeki is born in the Eastern Cape, Jacob Zuma in rural KZN. And there are some similarities and some differences in their early years. Zuma and Mbeki ultimately find their way to the ANC at very early ages, in their childhood to teenage years. Now, they're born in 1942. This is a year where the Second World War 
is currently ongoing. And apartheid hasn't even started yet. It's only six years away. Now, you can see that when they turn six, apartheid starts. And this is when there's a crisis in the liberation movement, the ANC. Their fathers and uncles are grappling with how they have got to the point where the National Party has come to power in South Africa. But something takes a turn around the 1950s when the ANC goes into a much more radical mode and you have projects and campaigns like the, the Defiance Campaign and a new spirit of resistance is gripping South Africa. Now, these two becoming teenagers, Zuma and Becky, are watching this unfold and you can see that they are destined to be great political figures because already at that young age, when the defiance campaign is happening, they want to get involved with the ANC, with the struggle against apartheid. Now, in 1955 or so, that's when each of them tries to get involved, tries to form. There's an interesting story that Tabo Mbeki tells about wanting to join the ANC but being turned away because he's too young to join because you had to be 18 at that stage. So they both really want to join the ANC. Zuma, on the one hand, is unable to really go to school for any lengthy period of time because he has responsibilities looking after his father's cattle. He never really got to meet his father. He only heard about his father from second-hand accounts. And his mother worked as a domestic worker. And of course, it was difficult to make ends meet and he, as a boy in rural KZN in that time, according to Zulu culture, had an important duty to look after his father's homestead and cattle in his father's absence. Mbeki did go to school in formal education and ultimately made his way through the mission schools of the Eastern Cape, uh, Lovedale College, I believe, which is where many other liberation figures also passed through. So they were different in terms of their educational output, but exactly the same in terms of their intelligence. Remember, there's always a big difference between formal education and intelligence. And just because you don't have a certificate doesn't mean you aren't educated or you don't understand the world around you. So Mbeki goes down a more academic path. Zuma takes a less traditional academic path, but they both care deeply about joining the ANC and being part of the liberation movement. Let's fast forward into more of their early years because after Mbeki leaves school, eventually he finds his way into university abroad, goes into exile and starts studying at the University of Sussex where he eventually gets his master's in economics. Zuma, on the other hand, as we go deeper into the 1960s, is getting deeper and deeper involved into MK, into ANC radical underground structures and eventually finds his way to Robben Island, the same place where Nelson Mandela was in jail for 27 years and is incarcerated on Robben Island in 1963. So Mbeki's overseas studying for his masters, Zuma's on Robben Island. They still haven't really formed their bond yet. Their stories are still moving in parallel. Mbeki goes from Sussex, ends up going to Moscow, gets military training, underground training. Zuma is on Robben Island eventually for 10 years, 
So while Mbeki is doing his academic and underground military training, Zuma is doing the University of Robben Island, maybe the best political university South, Af- South Africa has ever come up with, learning at the feet of the likes of Mandela, learning at the feet of the political prisoners who are on Robben Island who are sharing their political understanding. And Zuma and Mbeki are both forming their intellectual and ideological viewpoints on the world. Then, finally, Zuma is released in 1973 from Robben Island. Mbeki is coming back to Southern Africa via uh, Lusaka, I believe. And they then finally meet up. And this takes us to Act 2 from the early life, Act 1, into Act 2, their partnership and where they meet and become political allies. Ultimately, Mbeki and Zuma finally meet up and unite when they get to Swaziland, now Eswatini, where the ANC underground structures are operating and trying to use that base, which is something of an island away from apartheid South Africa around them, underground, and in secret to do operations for the ANC in the country and in Southern Africa. Now, remember, Mbeki's done his military and underground guerrilla training in Moscow. Zuma's been on Robben Island. So apparently Mbeki and Zuma have a lot of conversations about what Mbeki learned in Moscow about underground training and He shares a lot of those experiences. Similarly, Zuma would have shared some of his experiences on Robben Island with Mbeki. And they are working to try and undermine the apartheid government in South Africa from Swaziland together, both in their 30s at the time. And eventually, along with some others, they get found out, arrested, and they ultimately get detained together in Swaziland when they're in their 30s. And this is where the chess matches start happening. They were obviously confined in relatively close quarters. We know this means that people get to know each other in different kinds of ways and understand each other and have lots of conversations, clearly play lots of games of chess. I wonder who won those chess matches between Zuma and Beggy, or uh, was it a draw? You know, did, 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 was there five wins on one side, five wins on the other? Maybe it's something we'll never know. But they get detained together And clearly they start uh, a deep and long political friendship. Now eventually they they come out of jail in Swaziland and again, as happened in ANC underground structures, they regroup and they go to different places. And I believe they were again together in the underground movement in Mozambique for a period of time where Zuma served as an important part of the ANC's security infrastructure and its intelligence structures. And Mbeki also passed through that Mozambique operation. So eventually, as we draw towards the 1990s now, Mbeki and Zuma are becoming older. They're becoming more senior in the ANC leadership ranks. And we're gearing up for the release of Mandela and the negotiations towards democracy. And Mbeki and Zuma start playing very important roles in terms of negotiating South Africa out of apartheid into democracy. Mbeki, on the one hand, is instrumental in the ANC's diplomatic efforts in getting the support of the international community on the side of the ANC, 
flying to different capitals of the world, the UN, and really becoming something like the ANC's chief of foreign affairs. <clears throat> Zuma, on the other hand, is a really important player in the ANC's intelligence structures. So he's becoming a, an increasingly important and ultimately the head of ANC intelligence. Now you must remember, because the ANC fought a liberation war and had Umkonto Esizwe and other structures, it had to have a kind of army um, in effect. And, and an army needs to have an intelligence operation to know what's happening, know what the national party is doing, know what people within the ANC are doing. Also to protect people within the ANC. So Zuma has always had that strong intelligence background. Now, it comes to the point where Mbeki and Zuma are appointed into two high positions prior to the ANC's 1991 elective conference, which is a really important national conference, which lays the groundwork for the country we have today and the negotiations to end apartheid. date. Zuma becomes the head of intelligence, as I said, and Mbeki becomes the head of the ANC's negotiations with the National Party. This is around the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Now, what happens, which unites them further, is that they both get removed from their positions. So, and this is just as a new round of negotiations are starting in earnest, just after the 1991 conference. Zuma gets removed as head of intelligence and Beki gets removed as head of negotiations. By the way, it's really interesting to note who replaced them. Zuma was replaced as head of intelligence by Terra Lekota, who is the head of COPE. Beki was replaced by... Cyril Ramaphosa as the head of negotiations. And one can imagine they both took these, these removals quite, quite, with quite a bit of dissatisfaction. And in fact, in an interview that I had with former President Jacob Zuma, a clip of which I want to show you, he actually speaks about this moment of being removed as head of intelligence with former President Mbeki. Have a look. So I had an idea that this was their plan, that after the, the, the conference, I should be removed. Mm. <clears throat> so when we were away, yeah. because what we, I did not know, how would they remove me? Because naturally the ANC structures should be the ones that do so. <clears throat> so when we were in London, as I was listening to the BBC, focus on Africa, uh, I heard that the meeting of the National Working Committee of the ANC, which ha had met for the first time, had taken a number of decisions. Mm. And the decisions that <clears throat> really rang the bell in me was that Tabombeg was removed as the chief negotiator and Jacob Zuma was removed as the chief of intelligence. So to me, <clears throat> in other words, these organizations had found a way mm. to implement their decision. What remained the critical question for me mm. was how could a plan by intelligence organizations 
get implemented by the National Executive Committee yeah. of the ANC. That was a, a, a what you call an interesting question to ask. So the two of them were obviously not very happy with being removed from these senior positions, but they, they worked again to get their way back to the top levels of ANC leadership. And they were, of course, national executive committee members for a very long time after that, and they would ultimately both become president. Now, negotiations happen. Yay, Rainbow Nation, Constitution, and all that. And Dinswalo's life begins <laughs> in 1994. Um, Mbeki, of course, rises importantly through the ranks and becomes deputy president of the country with Nelson Mandela. Zuma has gone more into the provincial realm and is playing an important role. Uh, you know, he played an important role in the disarmament of KwaZulu-Natal during the political violence there between Inkata and the ANC. And he is serving in, I think, as an MEC in the KwaZulu-Natal provincial legislature or, or, or government. Now, the Mandela presidency continues. Mbeki's deputy president, ANC's governing and apartheid has ended. And now Mandela announces he is stepping down. And there were two people who could have taken over from Mandela. It was Cyril Ramaphosa, who was the Secretary General of the ANC at the time, and Thabo Mbeki. And ultimately the ANC chooses Mbeki. Uh, in Mandela's book, Dare Not Linger, or it's a kind of collection of his writings and reflections after his presidency, he actually thought Ramaphosa would take over but the ANC prevailed and it was Mbeki. So Mbeki becomes president and who should he select and who becomes his deputy president recently elected in the, in the ANC as well as deputy president, but none other than his old friend from Swaziland, from Mozambique, his friend who he got removed from those important positions together with, his friend who was born in the same year as him, Jacob Geile Hlegisa Zuma becomes the deputy president of South Africa. And the two share a partnership in government which takes South Africa to its best and most golden years. There's no doubt about that. Between 1999 and 2005 or 6, the economy is growing, crime is starting to come down, inequality is starting to come down, unemployment is starting to come down. Mbeki and Zuma are running things. The old alliance is now at the top of the South African government and it's holding firm. The 2004 election comes and Mbeki and Zuma get the biggest ANC election results that has ever been recorded in history. I think they got like 66% or something. <clears throat> it just goes to show that those two, when they were united together, were such a powerful force that they took the ANC to its highest heights and the South African economy and government to its highest heights. But all was not well in paradise, and we would see one of the most dramatic breakups in political history, and that's Act 3, The Rivalry Begins. Now, grumblings start emerging 
in various corners about allegations of corruption leveled against Jacob Zuma. He's the deputy president at the time, and Thabo Mbeki and him, of course, share a long history together. But in a judgment which comes out about Zuma's business associate, Shabir Sheikh, which casts aspersions over Zuma's potentially corrupt relationship with Sheikh. And Sheikh is convicted and uh, ultimately incarcerated. This prompts a major, major problem in South Africa, where it seems that for the first time, a very senior ANC politician is implicated <clears throat> in allegations of corruption. And Becky has to make a decision. Does he stay loyal to his friend? Or does he take decisive action? And Mbeki decides to fire Jacob Zuma eventually. And in a speech to Parliament, which probably marks the most fundamental turning point in all of South Africa's democratic history, he says he's firing Jacob Zuma. It sends shockwaves across the political spectrum. I still remember listening to that. I was in the car. I was in high school at the time. And I, there was a news bulletin. And they said, Thabo Mbeki has fired Jacob Zuma as his deputy. And you just couldn't believe how massive that was. Imagine seeing a president fire their deputy. We, we've never seen it since or before in democratic South Africa. Of course, Zuma is not happy about this. Of course, Zuma believes that the knives were out for him. There was a conspiracy to remove him. And Zuma's always maintained that there's been this grand conspiracy to get him out of leadership in the ANC and the country. What follows is also a period of many legal battles for Jacob Zuma. Um, he tries to extricate himself from the corruption allegations. In tandem with this and in parallel, Zuma goes through this uh, and the country is subjected to this rape trial in 2006. Um, Zuma is ultimately acquitted in 2006, but not only is Zuma uh, removed from government, there's also this rape trial. And around this whole period of just all this stuff happening and all the, this division and unwanted set of situations, um, two camps are forming, those loyal to Mbeki and those who are loyal to Zuma. Most people thought Zuma was finished at that time. Corruption, the rape trial, even the acquittal uh, put him in a very difficult political position and most people thought his political career was over then. But he worked in the background and this is going to become a familiar story. He worked in the background to rebuild himself within the ANC. Until we got to the Bologwane conference of 2007, where there were two presidential candidates. Yep, Jacob Zuma and Thabo Mbeki. Mbeki had already served two presidential terms and he wanted a third in the ANC. Zuma had built this whole network and movement around him to challenge Mbeki's power. And much to many people's surprise, Zuma completely swept Mbeki away 
in 2007 and became the president of the ANC. The rivalry reached its peak and Zuma seemed to be unassailable in terms of his support. By 2008, the Zuma camp had decided to unceremoniously remove Thabo Mbeki from office before his term was over. Little did Zuma know the same fate awaited him 10 years later. So in 2008, Thabo Mbeki came onto our TV screens and said, I've been removed from office and I'm, or the ANC no longer wants me to serve and I'm resigning. Khalema Mutlante came in for a bit and after the 2009 election, Jacob Zuma became South African president. Now what's fascinating is that both men served roughly the same amount of time as South African president. Mbeki from 99 to 2008 and Zuma from 2009 to 2018. So they were born in the same year and they had roughly the same amount of time as president of South Africa. Now, during the Zuma years, Mbeki kind of went underground. He wouldn't speak up much. He would speak very rarely, even during elections, not really purporting to be a great supporter of the ANC. Sometimes they could twist his arm to come out on campaigning days just before the election. But he, like Zuma before him, went underground and was no longer the public figure that he used to be. But as those years went on and Zuma went from being extremely popular to becoming increasingly unpopular, and eventually Zuma was removed from power. And President Ramaphosa, a figure who's been in the background of both these figures' lives, became president. This takes us to the conclusion of our video, because to understand the political moment that we're in right now, in 2024 South Africa, we need to appreciate this rivalry. So, in conclusion, isn't it fascinating that to this day, the Mbeki and Zuma rivalry is still a key part of South Africa's politics. Zuma has taken the incredible step of no longer supporting the ANC and supporting the new Mkondoe Sizwe party. Think of how long Zuma's been in the ANC. He was born in 1942 and in the mid to early 1950s, he decided he was going to join the liberation movement and the ANC. Same with Mbeki. But Mbeki has taken a different path. He still seems to at least place himself within the ANC. Although he's critical of the ANC, it seems that he will be a key part of the ANC's election campaign, or at least they want to make him a key part of the campaign. Now, what will be really interesting to watch in the latest chapter of the Zuma and Beki rivalry, is how those two speak to each other in this election. Zuma will be criticizing the ANC for the first time, while Mbeki, on the other hand, will be criticizing Zuma and the MK party <clears throat> and being the former president that comes out swinging for the ANC, at least the ANC hopes so. Or will Mbeki take a step back again and withdraw from the public spotlight in this election? even as Zuma becomes an increasingly important part of formal politics in this election. I, for one, suspect that we haven't seen the last of this political rivalry, and the 2024 election may just be one of the most interesting chapters yet in this long political tale of two men born in the same year, 
both presidents who have left an indelible imprint on South African politics. On SMWX, we explore South African politics through interviews and analysis, but we also take a step back and give you an appreciation of South Africa's history. Zuma versus Mbeki is the rivalry you need to understand to understand South Africa's democratic history, its highs and its lows. And that rivalry will continue in 2024 and through the election. If you've enjoyed this kind of video, let me know down below and we can do some more historical deep dives. Like, because that's one big way to get this video out to as many people as possible. Share, because that's another way. I'm sure you have WhatsApp groups that you can share this video into. Even those WhatsApp groups with uncles and aunts and all of that that you don't even really read, just drop it in there for, you know, to, to, to show them you're thinking about South African history. And subscribe, because the bigger we can grow this platform, the more, especially young people, we can bring into interesting conversations about South Africa, its history, and most importantly, its future. Thanks for watching another installment of SMWX. Aye, aye.